friend called from India at that time and says, uh, you know, Yahel, I heard that you now have some time on your hand. The friend was volunteering for the Tibetan government in exile, led by His Holiness Dalai Lama. And uh, he said that we are struggling there in India because the, the Chinese regime is trying to sabotage all our efforts and, you know, our only mouthpiece as, as a stateless nation is online. They're sabotaging our uh, websites and uh, somehow the schedule of His Holiness is always leaking out before we even know it. They already know it. So there's a lot of cybersecurity issues there. Maybe you can come and help us. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Aid Evolved. Now, in the past few episodes, we've talked a bit about infrastructure, about the idea of building something that lasts a little bit longer and maybe does a little bit better than some of the applications and the websites that come and go. One example of this infrastructure is the internet. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with Yahel Ben-David. Yahel has spent most of his career building and running organizations that develop wireless broadband solutions. These solutions help us to bring internet to communities that are more remote or more impoverished than traditional internet connections can reach. Yahel has wandered the world setting up these connections everywhere from the Indian Himalayas to the impoverished communities in California's Central Valley. Now what really just floored me about my conversation with Yahel was the emphasis that he placed on community buy-in, even for something as foundational as internet infrastructure. He talks pretty candidly about the successes that he's proud of, as well as the regrets that he has about the approach that he took. But I'll let him share that with you in his own words. If you like what you hear, you can check out more of our episodes on our website at aidevolved.com. And with that, let's dive back the very beginning of the strange and unlikely story, which is Yehel's life. I was uh, born and raised in uh, Israel. I'm a, a, what we define as a second-generation Holocaust survivor, and I think that would bear some about later on in the conversation. Oh. As uh, most Israelis, I served in the army, and maybe... Oh, I'm already uh, learning something new about you. <laughs> yeah. I was in the <laughs> army. Uh, I was, uh, I don't know if uh, fortunate or unfortunate to be in a war zone for quite a few years, which certainly really? was... Uh, which one? In Lebanon. Huh. Wow. So, yeah, I spent nearly four years in Lebanon. Just learning now in my 50s that that must have been pretty dominant in, 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 in the way that I was formed. So uh, being in a, in a life-threatening situation for so long, for so, such an intense uh, time, certainly has some, some residues. Yeah, that's <laughs> remarkable, particularly because I think of you as such a, a cheerful, upbeat, optimistic oh, yeah. person. I, I had no idea that uh, you spent so many years working in a war zone. I, I am curious to see how that has affected your, your outlook on life. So yeah, that's another prejudice that might have what made me the cheerful person that I am. Anyway, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's not what we think of. So mm-hmm. yeah, so um, after, after that, took the conventional path of people with technology inclination and co-founded the 
tech startup, cybersecurity, <laughs> although, the, although the term cybersecurity, I think, was not even coined at the time. So <laughs> I love how you describe it as the conventional humdrum, oh, you know, I just, I did a startup, as if that's something that everybody does and succeeds in. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a startup country, the startup nation. I don't know if you have, if you ever read that book, if you haven't, <laughs> I haven't. You, should, you should certainly, hmm. I mean, anybody who listens to this, who works with Israelis should definitely read the startup nation. Oh, interesting. And are you talking about Israel or the United States? Sorry for my America centrism. Israel, Israel, Israel. Israel, right, right, right. I know Israel has the second highest number of startups after the United exactly. States, which really surprised me given its size. You know, that's incredible. Exactly. So it's the absolute second number, not adjusted for uh, for population. So that's it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you were you were part of that. You're right in the middle of that. <laughs> I, I guess so. I mean, those were the days, and that's what we did. It was nothing uh, <laughs> too original or too unique. In fact, I mean. Uh, Pretty much anybody who came out from the kind of stuff that I did in the army eventually uh, ended up, well, not everybody, obviously, but, you know, many. <laughs> many people. And some of us, I'm certain not everybody. Yeah, well, some of us ended up uh, in the Silicon Valley. So, you know, the joke is that we moved mm. from the Silicon Valley. <laughs> Vadi is the name in Arabic or in, in, in or in uh, Hebrew. Uh, we moved to the valley, yeah. so from the from the Vadi <laughs> to the valley. So, uh, <laughs> so that's hilarious. So that was it. That went up pretty well. Yeah, and most startups don't. You know, like it's one thing to say there are a lot of startups, uh, but I'm sure the statistics from Israel are, are no better than the statistics statistics from America. You know, one in ten is going to succeed. But I have the impression that yours might have been one of those one of those one in ten. It was. <laughs> I don't know if it was one in ten. I mean, I still think that it was uh, nothing special and nothing unique. And the ecosystem was that everybody around us was just doing well. And, you know, it's keep inspiring each other and, and keep doing doing better. But again, mm. and we did well. And we did well. And, and in, uh, in the late 90s, uh, I wanted out and I, I sold my equity and, and moved out. And I think in retrospect, mm. some of the reasons why I wanted out was... Uh, because I, I felt like two things happened. First, I felt like I don't need more. Hmm. I'm doing all right. I, I didn't huh. want to continue and cultivate that, you know, traditional, uh, you know, we need more. The, the traditional maximization of profits, oh, which, which is what the whole ecosystem was about. Huh. And I think the other part, right. for me at least... I mean, that sounds like one metric of success. You know, you, oh, you, you started this thing and it was as successful as you needed it to be. You didn't need more. Also, tricky. You know, a lot of people that do their own startups, once you once you get into that momentum, it's hard to get off that, that treadmill. I think that's a key problem. I think, uh, I think it's momentum. I think it's more than momentum. I think it's addiction. Mm. And workaholism in, in general is addiction. Like a drug. Again, I'm sure, I'm sure there are other reasons for workaholism. And I'm sure uh, <laughs> after some financial success, why do people continue? Uh, and we're all different. Mm -hmm. But I think the majority of people, myself included, that, that I come across are absolutely addicted or were <laughs> addicted. And it's, right. it's a, the kind of addiction that is very hard to win off. Uh, first of all, because you don't know that you're addicted, yeah. and uh, and maybe more than that is because the society really cultivates that and encourages that. It does. So you took a step back. You said, "Okay, you know, this has been good. I've I've got myself sorted at least as far as I need right now." Um, how did you decide to do that break? Uh, <laughs> 
how did I decide? Well, I just, I just uh, didn't want to stay anymore. Uh, it was... Uh, you walked out the door one day. You said, I quit. Uh, no, it was, uh, you know, there was a financing round and uh, there was an opportunity to, uh, to, to sell my shares and then, you know, got out. Was uh, planning to take some time off and actually go to, uh, to travel. Uh, I like to climb and actually... Even it's a funny story. I actually, even got permits to uh, to climb the Denali, McKinley, Mount, Mount McKinley in uh, in Alaska, which is a you know oh, a, wow. a pretty a pretty cool climb. Uh, and it's hard to get permits. And I was starting to put an expedition together. And uh, so you're quite a serious climber. It sounds like I was okay climber at the time. I think you know <laughs> it, 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 I, I'm jumping to the end, but you know I never climbed uh, Denali till today. But <laughs> I climbed some pretty, some a lot, a lot higher peaks in in India, but maybe not as technical. Anyway, so uh, to make a long story short, uh, a friend called uh, from India uh, at that time and hmm. says, uh, "You know, Yahel, I heard that you now have some time on your hand." And uh, the friend was volunteering for the Tibetan government in exile, for uh, led by His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And uh, he said that uh, we are struggling there in India because the the Chinese regime is trying to sabotage all our efforts, and you know our only mouthpiece as as a stateless nation is uh, is online, and you know they're sabotaging our our uh, websites, and uh, somehow the schedule of His Holiness Yikes. is always leaking out, bef- you know, before before. We even know it. They already know it. So there's it's it, there's a lot of cybersecurity huh. issues there. Maybe you can come and help us. And then, they were like, "I know somebody who works in cybersecurity." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, the funniest thing, opportunity. I'm bless, bless that friend for for pulling you into. <laughs> yeah. Into- well. Yeah. I absolutely. So. Uh, uh, so. Uh, the story the story went is I, I've been to India before that on on business on business trips and I really didn't like right. it and uh, it, I, hmm. it was you know doing work in you know in Delhi in Bangalore in Mumbai with you know techies it it was not hmm. you know in the nineties especially early nineties it was not uh, you know my idea of fun and in fact in in my company hmm. we even used to draw straws who gets to not go to India. Because it was really not a cool uh, time destination, you know, for business travel or for any travel for that matter. Because we didn't know what the real India is, that it's so rural. And, you know, the, ma- the majority of, of this vast population is actually not uh, urban. That certainly wasn't there then. Maybe now it's changing a little bit. So Interesting. And, and I guess I imagine like if you're living that high-flying technology lifestyle, you know, maybe you want to go to Thailand or Japan or, or South America. Exactly. Um, and uh, India, you know, certain cities in India might seem more exactly. uh, impoverished or more like not, not really the destination that... Uh, that these these young tech kids are seeking For out. Sure, and you know, even even if you're not that posh, I mean, and I I was always into you know traveling and nature, but uh, you know, if you work mm. in Delhi, at least at least you can expect that the air conditioning will work, and it didn't. And you know, or uh, mm. an air conditioned vehicle, what what even what, what's that even? It didn't exist. So you know, so, oh, man, uh, it gets hot in Delhi. It does, it does. <laughs> and maybe even worse in Bombay. I don't know. No, Delhi is pretty bad. So, <laughs> So, yeah, uh, for sure. so uh, you know, so it wasn't it it wasn't my idea of fun when when my friend called and he said, no, yeah, hell, you know, this is not the India mm-hmm. that you know. This is uh, we're up here in the Himalayas in Dharamsala. You're gonna love it. 
and you know we really need your help and uh, you know one thing led to the other and i said okay uh you got you got three weeks i'm gonna come for three weeks and <laughs> and uh, and then i have to go back oh to to to, to, uh, to uh, alaska to climb and then <laughs> and the story sounds like this might have been a bit of a detour <laughs> <laughs> yeah and- but you know it's that, that's what i did i mean i was all over the place anyway so okay a small detour fair. but the story is a story fair, fair. and 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 were you were you thinking at that time that you wanted to you know to do good to serve Absol- people in Tibet or anywhere else absolutely not that was not on my mind <laughs> you you uh, went for the climbing no, I mean, I meant a friend called and, you know, really, uh, really. for friendship. Yeah, you know, and, uh, and you know, I, I, I can't say that I wasn't curious. I mean, I've heard the name Dalai Lama mm. before. Little did I knew, mm. uh, you know, I heard. I, heard I hear he's a good guy. On, yeah, I knew he was a good guy. At least I thought so. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I've heard about the Tibetans <laughs> before. I knew very little about the Tibetan struggle, about, you know, the, the Chinese uh, occupation. I, I knew very little about all those things but I had some good instincts and I had you know a little bit of time before I had to go uh, to climb to climb in Alaska so okay you know (laughs) let's let's do it and uh, and I got I got some donations uh, from friends in you know checkpoint firewall and stuff like that uh, at the time huh. it was the cutting edge so uh, some, some some companies donated some gear and some some software and I I, I yeah. got to India and uh, I'm glad you had those weeks to spare. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but the, the funny the funny thing is, is you know India being India and uh, we had we had some some big satellite equipment. Uh, it was supposed to get delivered and it was uh, it was put on a i don't know on a dhl f- flight or whatever and we and we saw that it landed in delhi but, and and we figured mm. okay a few days later it's going to be in dharamsala uh, uh-uh. <laughs> and naive, naively <laughs> not knowing india mm. and uh, i got to dharamsala and the stuff doesn't get there and it doesn't get there and it doesn't get there and in the meanwhile i have nothing oh, to no. do because it doesn't get there and uh, oh. the the the, the, the you know the bottom line of the story is that I spent the, those three weeks climbing there and traveling and it was winter in Dharamsala it was lovely it was you know one of my best oh. times there and I kind of fell in love with the with the people with the place with the very different type of India that I've never seen before huh. and um, and How that, fascinating and that was a so that was an accident that like was it was just it was it was it was fortuitous uh, that your equipment never showed Completely. up uh, in the long in long run because then you you were able to connect exactly. a little bit more with the country and its people exactly fascinating and and then you know uh, two days before I had to leave the equipment did get there and now oh now the equipment <laughs> we waited all that much and the equipment is here I can't leave so make a long story <laughs> what about Alaska I, exactly so so I may I actually ended up staying uh, three months instead of three weeks and, and canceled the Alaska <laughs> trip. And the rest is, as we said, they the really rest drew of history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I'm glad I'm glad your your friend was there to call you up, and I'm glad the, the equipment got stuck in Delhi. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you talk about it as if, again, you know, as if it's no big deal. You know, you set up an organization, you set up the Tibetan Technology Center, you set up Arajaldi, and... For you know, for anyone else who's tried to set up an organization, uh, there are so many more of those steps along the way. You, you know, like how did you? I guess coming from your your background, you had a, a sense of the kinds of technologies that you were proficient in. But can you just talk a little bit about about those early days? You know, you you knew you wanted to help connect some of these places, but but how? Like, how did you start? 
So uh, again, this uh, pretty much started from a completely uh, egocentric uh, need. So being there in Dharamsala, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, in the late 90s uh, and being who I am, you know, I couldn't really survive without internet or without without my email. And uh, <laughs> the only way to, to get email at the time was to... Uh, to go in the morning, you know, connect your laptop in one of those uh, uh, STDs. It's one of those phone booths, public phone booths. Uh, yeah. keep, keep your laptop there with the guy. There's always, it's it's not like a, 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 a pay phone in America. There's always a guy sits there and uh, who, to whom mm. you pay. And you leave your laptop with that person and you go have your breakfast and, you know, maybe even lunch. <laughs> then you come back and you get your email. <laughs> so, uh, and, oh. and, and then, you know, you, oh, you reply. And then uh, in the evening you go, you know, you do the same thing for dinner and uh, the emails goes up. So, <laughs> so that's... Uh, it used to be so slow. It used to be, yeah. <laughs> You know, it's, and, and, you know, at that time, you know, coming from, from the Silicon Valley or from Israel, we already had a pretty good working internet and, and, and dependent on that. So going back to, back to the Indian Himalayas, it's like going back 10, 10 years in time. Hmm. So um, that was a, that didn't work for me. I liked pretty much anything else there or, or most things there, but that part was not really working. And I started to think about, uh, again, completely uh, egoistic reasons, uh, how to improve my internet. And, That's great. And, <laughs> you know, necessity is the, the father of all inventions, I think the, the slogan goes. So uh, mm. so that's that's what it is. So you decided to fix it uh, to, yeah, for Tibet. It's, it's not Tibet. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a northern India. It's a Tibetan community in exile in the Indian Himalayas. But yeah, I, mm. I was trying to figure out a way to, to get online, uh, which meant uh, <laughs> playing with the various uh, Wi-Fi routers uh, at the time, those blue Linksys routers. And, you know, whenever I would go back home to visit, I would come back with a suitcase full of, you know, I would break them apart so they won't be so big or so conspicuous. And, and I would pull the PCBs out and uh, just, you know, come back with suitcases full of PCBs, you know, and... Uh, Printed circuit boards. Yes, thanks for that. <laughs> just, the board, just the boards. And, uh, and uh, you know, um, try to mount them on trees, you know, in plastic bags <laughs> and uh, whatever works to get uh, to get some, uh, some networking going. And that's pretty much oh, how, how this whole thing started. <laughs> and then when you actually set up the two... Uh, which one came first, and who were who were the first people apart from yourself uh, that you were connecting? It started after we, we got a satellite connection to the Tibetan government in exile and to another institution. So that was our uplink mm. uh, to the world, essentially. The next point was to okay, so we have that uplink in one place. How do we connect other organizations to that uplink? Uh, the, right. you know, various other offices, you know, the hospital and the the, the arts preservation uh, uh, institute mm. and uh, and the, the dialectic institute and the Buddhist studies institute and you know all those uh, <laughs> and they were you know anything within you know a few hundred meters away to uh, to ten ten or so miles away awesome looking back I, I i wanted i wanted to mention you know a little bit about one of the aspects that i think is is very important is is community buy in and uh, hmm. and and at the time you know I, i'm having i'm having thoughts back at 
I must have looked to those people like I'm a complete maniac. Like, you know, I'm a workaholic. <laughs> I'm all the time about computers and about the internet. And I, and I was myself convinced that, you know, at the time that there's nothing more important to life than having internet. So, you know, you know perhaps I was a little bit wrong. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I bet they're using it now. I bet, I bet they're addicted to it now as, as you were then. And, and you know, uh, you might be right. So it sounds like you feel good about having achieved your mission of bringing internet to this particular society. But looking back, you're concerned about some of the, the, the change that you brought. Um, can you give an example of, of a change that you're, you're, not, you're, sh- you're not sure of, or if you had to do it again, you might reflect on a little bit more? I, I think, things, I, I think the, things should have been done in a more in tune with the, or more in collaboration with the society. Less with how so? Less, How would you do it this time around? Uh, I would less be the know-it-all person that tells everybody <laughs> how to do things. I would actually uh, mm. take more time before you know uh, throwing routers together to sit with people, especially with elders who actually don't know uh, what the internet is, and have a conversation mm. about what good would it bring. And maybe how to implement it in in ways that would do more of the good and less of the of less of the the harm. And uh, huh. but do you, do you think that that there has been harm done? Like when I guess when I think of internet, I think of it as 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 infrastructure in a way. You know, it's like like building roads. Um, people can put different things on on the roads, but in the end, like a road is is useful for transportation one way or the other. Um, it sounds like your experience was a bit different than that, and I'd love to understand more. What are some of the negative consequences that played out? O- overall, I, I obviously agree with you. And at the time, I felt like the elders, the ones that I'm now saying that I should have talked to, it were my enemies because they would not just run out mm. and, and put on routers. They would ask questions. They would have concerns <laughs> about their people and their community. So I, at the time, mm-hmm. avoided them. Somehow I was uh, a <laughs> maniac enough <laughs> to, to be able to, to avoid that, to, to, to get some stuff done without, without that sort of buying, or only with some young, uh, uh, young people that were also a little bit techy, a little bit uh, maybe not thinking deep mm. or... Uh, you know, kind of like-minded, like my yeah, own. Yeah, yeah, the scrappy, young exactly. troublemakers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's what we were. I mean, we were troublemakers. We got stuff done, and perhaps we could have done it a little better. You know, by the end of the day, hmm. we kept on saying, uh, I, that was always my slogan, you know, internet is is like the the pipes, and I'm just the plumber. Whatever, whatever <laughs> is going to run in the pipes, that's up to you guys. So that's the analogy to the road. Hmm. Um yeah, and, yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, I guess it's it's interesting hearing even from from you, you know, who has so much experience building this kind of infrastructure that you too would want to sit and listen to the elders and and get buy-in from the community, even for something which just seems so, you know, to to me it just seems so obviously useful, the internet. <laughs> um, and you're saying like even even for even for this, um, it's important to get that community buy-in. You know, I it, I think it I think it, it would have been, and you know, I'm saying this today. At the time, I I, I never thought that you know com- what's community buying? Who cares? You know, let's just put this up and and, <laughs> and run with it. Uh, I think today uh, that was a mistake, and it could have been. We I, also with community buying, we could have avoided a lot of the uh, pitfalls and and roadblocks. Uh, 
and and do it in a more mm. uh, in in a more communal way because you know by the end of the right. day uh, you know what what we define as progress uh, quote unquote um, in many ways brought brought about uh, a lot of isolation a lot of breakage of the commun- communal fabric in those places um huh. in, in many ways it's a good thing I mean the fact that you can actually sit with your laptop and earn your living uh, without ever yeah. leaving uh, your house and have uh, whatever Amazon deliver and you don't even know who your neighbors <laughs> are yeah okay call it progress if you want um, and it's, it's hard <laughs> to uh, argue but uh, but uh, mm. uh, you know I'm just giving you a hint of, of some of the aspects and don't get, don't even get me started yeah <laughs> some of the aspects that, uh, that might, might not be so progressive in terms of who right. we are as a species. Right, I hear what you're saying. Exactly. Who we are and yeah. what we need as a species and how we, have we eroded those things uh, over years. And, you know, um, technology suddenly has a, a role to play in that. Uh, way, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. We need to t- approach it with responsibility, for sure. So, so you're in... Tibet and you're you're building and you're connecting uh, this this network and you're working with your um, your 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 team of young people that are interested in in the future. How did that effort expand uh, to or is it aligned uh, between Air Jaldi and the Tibetan Technology Center? Well, what's the linkage it's between the two? One, one uh, led to the other and they were almost founded at the same at the same time. The idea that. Uh, uh, Tibtech, Tibetan Technology Center, uh, w- which at the time really, really only did uh, the, built the Air Jaldi network. Air Jaldi started as a network, not as an organization, because um, mm. air we know what it means, and Jaldi means quick, so it's kind of fast air, f- fast air. Uh, that's <laughs> that's the name. Nice. Uh, and uh, it, and we realized that we're going very much towards uh, Air Jaldi being an organization, and and focusing on networking, while as uh, the Tibetan struggle in general has a lot more technology needs that are not purely networking. So the idea was to to, Mm. uh, uh, focus Erjaldi on networking, but without uh, the Tibetan aspect, networking, rural networking in general, Mm. especially in in developing countries and poor markets, while as uh, the focus of Tiptech is uh, you know, a wider range of technology, but with the focus of the the Tibetan struggle. So those are the two. Can you talk a bit about some of the ups and downs of that mission? Like, I have to imagine if you're being called in to to connect, you know, some some random place in in India that has never had internet before. Just like the mechanics of it, you know, are you you're installing uh, routers here? You're like. Just you know, talk through like a story yeah, of like one of the installations or one of the setups that you let's did. Let's take a step back. So you assume that I'm being called to connect a place in India, and and that assumption is a very uh, you know a very Silicon Valley type of assumption. The assumption hmm. uh, at its core stands the thing that oh this village must want internet and they must somehow find that there's a, a Yahel somewhere and they must somehow <laughs> go and call Yahel to bring uh, to bring internet over. And uh, the truth oh, is, is that, but that wasn't the case. It's it's not not only that it wasn't the case. I don't think it ever happened. Uh, the, huh. the the two uh, uh, aspects uh, of of getting to places was I mean typically when we got to places it was self growth. So we would we would get into an area and say oh we just passed through that village they don't have anything let's find the the young uh, you know 
computer techie that goes to the city every now and then to, to play games or actually know what email <laughs> is. And maybe he or she even speaks English. And, uh, and you know, yeah. let's, uh, let's see if they would care to, you know, get some buy-in in the community or maybe find a few businesses that would actually uh, think that uh, that would be helpful for them. So that's one, one approach. So it typically came from us and then uh, identifying huh. uh, one or two individuals uh, and, 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 getting it, and getting it going. Um, uh, another aspect would be uh, some um, NGOs uh, that are that have offices uh, across uh, multiple locations, and they need to communicate with those with those other NGOs. And uh, or you know, it doesn't have to be NGOs. It could be it could be some rural banking institution or a rural uh, insurance company, and uh, mm. they would somehow hear about uh, Erjaldi, and they will contact Erjaldi. Say, hey, you know, uh, we have our office uh, in this place. Can we connect it to our office in in that other place? Um, and the final play, uh, the final aspect would be, which again in my time never worked, was the government initiatives, <laughs> and that typically would be some sort of an, uh, you know, an MLA, a, a member member of legislative uh, uh, assembly, the, the, you know, a politician essentially, who wants to bring internet to their rural, uh, to their you know, home home uh, home area, and going back to that to that rural village that actually got connected. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's funny how you know you you can create some sort of uh, demand because even if it's a village that really nobody speaks English and the internet at the time especially was mostly in English and mm. maybe one person used the computer before when they went to maybe the teacher the science teacher in the in the elementary school maybe is from Delhi or from the from the city and have used email before and suddenly you bring uh, one computer or one one connection to the school and you kind of like skeptic is that's even going to do anything and is that's going to make any difference and you know a few a couple of weeks later you know it, something breaks down you know the tree that it was mounted on falls down or you know there's no power or something and <laughs> the result is that the next day you have a line of people outside your office you know that you know all from that village nobody speaks english they all want it back they all that huh. you know would would chip in, would find some money, would find some whatever. Suddenly, in two weeks later, huh. uh, everybody wants it back. So something is working. Now I don't I don't know what it is. You know, it could be porn. I don't know what it is, but it <laughs> it's uh, and that's certainly a part of it. Uh, but you know, some somehow there this this uh, demand has been created. Uh, with a very small yeah I love your I love your honesty I love your storytelling here and and I love how you paint the true life complexity of what's going on here you know on the one hand it's something which clearly there's an interest there's that demand they're knocking on the door um, the moment that it's 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 missing or it's broken down and at the same time you also recognize and you describe it as a very technology-driven approach you know the community didn't ask for it the NGO asked for it the government asked for it and you you pushed it um, and it and it wasn't something that uh, the communities asked for, and that it sounds like a truly complex situation to to navigate um, in in the work that you were doing. It is, and I think I think that's a core uh, aspect of of ICTD in general, and and the kind of work that we 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 do. We we don't really know, and it's very easy for us to assume that we know. I mean, I was the guy who knew it all. <laughs> 
So uh, you know, the, the older <laughs> the I, the, exactly, and and you know, the older you get, the the more you understand how little do you know, and uh, mm. and uh, you know, sometimes you get lucky with you know with with the with the maniac and the and the know it all approach <laughs> and you know the, the the grandiose approach and 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 you know you can you can do a lot of good, but you know, uh, I think you can do a lot better. <laughs> by by uh, being humble and by working with the people and and learning from the people because you know there's yeah. a lot a lot that we've lost uh, you know that that area Daramsala which I, I still frequent well not now with covid but <laughs> but uh, mm. I still visit pretty frequently <laughs> <None of us. laughs> it, it's it, it has changed and and uh, you know it's, mm. we've lost a lot. So, and, and I'm, I'm not mm. taking responsibility for the, for that loss. And don't get me wrong, but you know, I, play, <laughs> so I, I, I certainly played a small part in it. Uh, right, you were part of the change. You're part of the future that that came to this place that that, uh, that you found different. And I think the the key here is the acceleration of the future. I think the acceleration mm. uh, is perhaps. Uh, uh, I mean, the future is going to happen. It's the future, but accelerating it uh, <laughs> in some ways uh, rather than others uh, might be uh, might be the part that uh, that holds some of the negative aspects. I, I don't know. Fascinating. <laughs> and was that was that part of your your inspiration for for the change afterwards? Like, what is it that drew you subsequently to to getting your PhD and coming back to Berkeley? That was another mistake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a mistake, you yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, like you know, uh, uh, serendipitous. Let's say, uh, not, 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 not planned at all. Uh, I got married in India, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, my wife, uh, who's now my ex-wife, uh, got mm. uh, an invitation to uh, got accepted to a PhD program in Berkeley. And uh, ah. and you know one thing led to the other, and I'm like, you know what? I've, <laughs> I've lived in the state before, and Berkeley is not that bad of a place. Okay, let's go to Berkeley. And uh, <laughs> and you thought, oh, she's getting a PhD. Maybe I'll get one too. Pretty, Why not? Pretty much. I mean, for the first two years of her PhD, really? we still we still didn't have kids, and uh, <laughs> and I was in India and she was in Berkeley, and we kind of commuted on vacations, which is actually a really good recipe for for a good domestic uh, life. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at least in my case, sounds like a good move. <laughs> and, uh, and just before my daughter was uh, about to be born, I I got uh, I got ordered to uh, report to Berkeley to be a daddy, and, and that was one that I <laughs> I couldn't whistle my way out of that one. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a hard one. Yeah. That's a hard one to dodge. So, uh, so I came <laughs> to Berkeley. But then you still ended up. Mm-hmm in this space like like it, it looks like with the work that you've done since then with with further reach and with de novo like you're still you're still working on those those wireless connections you're still working on connecting these rural communities uh, on paper at least it, it it looks like it all ties together even if in practice uh, it was a bit of a random it walk. does it does <laughs> it was a very humiliating uh, humbling experience and and it was very uh, uh, enriching at the same time Uh, also of course not easy i mean we we had to work hard and you know at the same time you know raising two kids yeah uh, and you know living in a in a new country and all those all the things that happened with that yeah and um, you know at some point i felt like okay this is all great academia is is i really needed to know academia because as a practitioner especially in that space of ictd 
uh, I came across and, and worked a lot with with academic practitioners and I, I needed to know what it's like and what mm-hmm. academic research in that space is like and how to uh, harness academic research to the to, to the more a practical side of things and I kind of always felt that my role is really to bridge this gap between academia and 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 practice right and I'm really curious uh, to hear how you how it's how that's gone for you you know because you've you've been out there you've been working in these rural communities actually building the connections and then you move over to this this ivory tower in California what is how has walking between those two worlds been for you these past few years so uh, uh, as part of my studies as part of my uh, of my uh, uh, phd research uh, uh, i suggested that i i want to build a, a fairly large uh, network uh, in order to be able to ask some some technical computer science questions that are only relevant for a real live working network with with uh, paying subscribers with the uh, providers that you pay to with all those other ecosystems uh, so that so my research question mm. was uh, f- formulated in such a way that it cannot really be addressed you know just by experimentation you know in in on UC Berkeley in an, in the lab and it needed a it needed a real and a real network to be built Hmm. And uh, my my at the time my uh, research committee, uh, you know, they listened to the the technology, you know, the the the, the technical research questions, and say, oh, those are really cool and valid research questions. Uh, but just so you know, uh, uh, there's no way that UC Berkeley can fund the kind of <laughs> network that you that you want to build. So they kind of look at look at me like I'm, you know. This, is this guy for real? Mm. You know, what is he talking about? Oh, no. And and they had to, you know, but that was kind of outside their scope. Uh, they they were they had to sign off on the on the technical novelty and validity of the research, which they did. Huh. And they kind of they you know they say good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, they, you know, what but did you they, do? But the looks. The looks were not really, you know, it was a little sad because, you know, <laughs> nobody really believed that uh, that it's, it can happen. <laughs> and uh, huh. I, I went I went and kind of, I went and did it. I got a grant from Google. Really? Uh, yeah, to, uh, to fund this network. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, grant writing is another, you know, uh, whole... It's its whole <laughs> whole kind of form. <laughs> exactly. It's, 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 whole, it's own career, even. <laughs> Exactly, exactly, and I, I I'm kind of glad that I I had the the chance to experiment with that a, a, a bit, and uh, I'm also happy that I know enough about it that I never want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, one, let's, one it, it took a lot of time. It took it took more than a year uh, to get that funding, and during that time. I was getting really uh, disappointed that it may not happen, and you know they promised it at one time, and then th- mm. that, that date came and went, and it ne- never happened. Such and, is the nature uh, of funding. One, yeah, that is the nature of funding. Yeah. And, and what happened, what ended up happening is that I also applied for another grant from the U.S. State Department for another research, also related to a. Uh, uh, to uh, uh, privacy on the internet and mostly how to connect uh, 
people in uh, under oppressive regimes where internet is being censored or, or used to track uh, citizens. That seems relevant. And uh, that was, it is, and that was a very kind of, um, again, that was a, a class project, which, which uh, <laughs> turned up to be a paper and, and another paper and another class project. And uh, <laughs> somehow uh, somebody in the State Department, uh, a new, a new uh, subdivision there that was founded uh, about internet freedom, uh, heard about it and and asked me to uh, uh, if if I'll be interested to to get funded for that and the google okay. money was not coming and I'm like oh yeah sure you want to give me money I'll take Bring it, it on. and the, the, the funny thing is that uh, uh, I got the I got the grant from the US state department and uh, a week later I got the grant from google so <laughs> it ra- it doesn't so, rain uh, but it pours <laughs> so suddenly you had twice as much work Exactly. So it's it's twice as much money, but it's twice as much work. And suddenly uh, you need to take an organization that really didn't exist. It was on paper. You know, it was it was a kind of a website, not a real organization. And you have to really turn it into organization and hire like crazy and, and get uh, people working and, you know, <laughs> building a network in rural California, which means, you know, buying trucks and uh, building towers. And, you know, it's, oh, it's <laughs> and at, the, at the same time, have a team of uh, software developers working and writing the code. And uh, so <laughs> huh. it's a lot of moving parts. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> if, for sure. And I, I, if, if I have to give an advice, I, I would say to, you know, that my best advice is never do it again. <laughs> I think you might have answered the question I was about to ask. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, like, so it sounds like the that time that you spent, you know, with the PhD and with the with the the grants and the effort that you wanted to to build up and to try, it it, it sounded like a, an opportunity to to experiment uh, with this idea that you had and to get funding for it. But it also sounds like you you wouldn't do it again. Uh, you know, between between this yeah. experience of of trying something out and um, you know from the research side versus what you were what you were doing um, and in India trying to maybe more on the NGO or on the donation side. My question is, between the two, um, is there one approach that you you would recommend to others uh, that are interested in this space, that are interested in looking at how to connect uh, the unconnected? Going too big is a, is a wrong approach. So in one way, I was, I was lucky, hmm. uh, but I'll have to admit that, that it was unhealthy. It was unhealthy for me. Hmm. Uh, Which one? On the, many, on, Tibet uh, or the, the, California? No, no, uh, uh, California. Like uh. the, the craziness of, of uh, the Novo Group, uh, you know, getting, a, you know, from, from a zero to 100 <laughs> in, 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 uh, in a few weeks uh, was, hmm. uh, was unhealthy. Hmm. And um, and you can't let go. It's like you can't, even if you feel that it's not healthy for you, which I didn't, you can't just, you know, say, okay, stop, <laughs> hit pause. You can't. You have a lot of people working for you. You have, uh, you know, subscribers depending on your service. Oh, you can't hit pause. Are, are you at liberty and, to uh, say how, 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 much, how much funding you got in that zero to 100? Yeah, sure. Uh, it was uh, $2 million from Google and $2 million from uh, the State Department. Oh, wow. Yes, yeah, so that does sound so like, a, that's a, lot like of a, money. a shot in the arm. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty big shot. Yeah, yes. yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> it sounds like it took a lot out of you. And, and looking back on the, on the overall arc of it, um, the work that you were doing in, in Tibet was more under your control, at least. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, it was, and there were no big expectations. It was kind of like a miracle that it's working at all. And if it would go down, I mean, there's, there's a lot of tolerancy. If it rains, then it goes down, you know. Nobody's, you know, it's, it's, everybody's happy about it. No problem. Uh, try to have my network now in, uh, 
in uh, uh, rural California, you know, if it goes down for, you know, three seconds, you get 2,000 calls. So, oh, man. It's you know. oh, on. <laughs> yeah, but at the, at the flip side, you know, first of all, it doesn't. It really doesn't go down. Mm. It, it took take time, but you, you build it in such a way. Plus, you have a lot of people that, you know, they, they pick up the phone. I don't pick up the phone anymore. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> And, and also to pay attention to the non-technical aspects, which I never knew how to, <laughs> to, to, to do. Oh, that's before. the hardest and, part. Uh, and exactly. And the recognition that, you know, it's not about just, it's not all about the technology. There are, you know, a lot of human aspects involved and you have to uh, to hire or to partner with the right people who compliment you on those uh, non-technical parts that, that I was never too good at. Absolutely. Yeah, Hel, we're running a little bit low on time. One question, the last question I wanted to ask you, Looking at the the arc of all the things that you've done, is there a key success uh, that you're that you want to highlight, or is there something that uh, you're? I don't, I'm not sure if I should say most proud of, um, but maybe something that you're proud of that you'd want to highlight from your achievements. I'm very proud of uh, Further Reach, the rural network in uh, in Mendocino County in California. Hmm. Uh, I'm proud that it's. Uh, uh, almost against all odds in because we chose a very sparsely populated and quite poor area hmm. uh, it, because it was a research project which was grant funded so we wanted to go to for the worst possible uh, area without any expectations of uh, any financial sustainability it's a research project hmm. and and that end up ended up being so successful that not only uh, it's sustainable, it's uh, so profitable that it uh, it allows us to fund all the research. So the research oh, wow. arm, which is a nonprofit, continues to grow and and, and expand thanks to the revenue. Of course, the grants are long gone. So it, huh. but thanks to the revenue generated by first the rich, that rural entity that nobody expected that could ever be. Uh, uh, sustainable and you know in an area that there's no not even cellular coverage uh, in, main, in in most of it uh, it is now so uh, successful that it's able to to pay back for the for the research and continue to grow the the research arm uh, of the organization that's fantastic and that's so rare for research projects <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's almost the the holy grail for nonprofits especially in the technology uh, part yeah and uh, and we learn a lot from it and we we know today for example that's relevant for your young listeners we know that to start a rural network today you don't need a, a google grant uh, you need you need inspiration. You need some know-how, uh, <laughs> but that's the nice thing uh, that uh, that we that maybe the biggest thing out of it is that we know today how to start a rural network pretty much anywhere in the world without a, a VC funding or with, you know which pretty much sell your sell your car and you have enough money to start a, a rural wireless business or or sell your scooter if you're in India <laughs> and uh, and and you can start a wisp a wireless internet service provider that's phenomenal that's great to hear awesome speaking to the young professionals who might be listening to this podcast um, do you have any advice for others looking to use technology for good work with the community learn from the community uh, focus on community buy in and don't know it all. Just, you know, learn. learn. If, if you learn more than you teach, you're on the right path. Thank you so much, Yehal. I really appreciate your time on all of this. If someone listening to this wants to find out more about you and the work that you're currently doing, is there anywhere in particular that you would want to point them to on, on the internet? Furtherreach.net uh, is probably the place to, to find me. Thank you so much, Yehal. Thank you very much, Ryan. It was a pleasure. 
like more information about Yehel and his work, you can find that in our show notes on our website at aidevolved.com. And if you have any suggestions or comments, you can always send me a note at rowena at aidevolved.com. I'll respond to every email I receive. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.